Hi. What a great three days, huh? It's just been amazing. I wish I could touch all you guys. It was so good. Did you guys have a good dinner tonight? It's so good. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming, and, and uh, we love this event so much. Just really love being with all you guys. I, I want to give away a few things. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, let's see. This is a woman, uh, book I wrote on empowering women. It's called Fashion to Rain, Empowering Women for Their Divine Destiny. And we have uh, also a curriculum that goes with it. It's uh, eight sessions. Uh, it comes with DVD with a, and with a workbook and with a leader's guide and with a book in here. So um, this is really good. How many know when God created Adam, he created them both male and female? If you oppress women, you lose half of the nature of God. It's a good word right there. So Danny's going to give that to someone. Thank you, Danny, for volunteering to do that. You can give the book to someone else. Yeah, Danny, you know you love me. There it is. Good job. Um, and this uh, is my latest book called um, The School of the Prophets. And it's actually not about prophecy. It's about prophets and prophetesses. And um, Sherry's going to give that book to somebody. <laughs> Thank you, Sherry, for doing that. And the last thing I give away, this is Spirit Wars, Winning the Invisible Battle Against Sin and the Enemy. And uh, this is a curriculum. Same thing, eight-week curriculum, workbook, leader's guide. Is anybody demon-possessed in here? <laughs> I'd like to give this to somebody whose husband is demon-possessed and he's here. <laughs> Sherry, give this to a couple people, would you please? Thank you very much. That way. Thank you. I know. Yeah, Sherry wanted to give it to Danny. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I wasn't involved. I'm just repeating what she said. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. Well, we... Thank you, Sherry. You're so mean. Huh? They're saying over there. Um, well, let's grab a hand and pray. We're going um, to just take about 30 minutes because then I want Sean to come up and, and uh, minister to us. That'll be fun. I know. Now that I told you you're gonna, that that's going to happen, you're like, can you make it 10? <laughs> I shouldn't have told you that. You're like, oh, we're too bored. Lord, we just bless these people and we forgive them. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Funny thing, I prepared last night for a message about transition. And um, I was going to do this whole thing on um, crossing over the Jordan River and the, coming into new seasons and what the structure should look like in a new season, and then Paul preached it. So I tried to redo the notes, and it, it didn't work at all. So, And he did. Wasn't that an amazing message? Was, I've heard that message before at different times, but I've never heard it like that. I thought that was genius. It was amazing. I, I think all the sessions have been so amazing. I got to sit in my son and daughter-in-law's session today, and that was so beautiful. 
to um, see them. And my daughters, Shannon and Cameron, I'm sorry, would you guys stand? I never do this. I hardly ever get to see my daughter. This is Shannon and Cameron. And they pastor the Weaverville Church that Bill used to pastor, and Danny used to pastor, and Steve used to pastor, and everyone else that's in here probably pastored at one time. And they are pastoring that church now, and we're very proud of them. So I want to talk about transition that requires a pure heart. And I, I was just thinking about, we had some questions at the uh, senior leaders meeting today. I thought we're, um, we didn't answer all of them, but we tried to answer some of them about transition. And I, I do feel like we're in a, a this, I believe we're in the second greatest transition in human history. The first being the cross, of course. And um, I think that, and, and I want to talk about heart stuff, because I, I feel like we've done a good do- job of transition. Danny's message was amazing, too last night about apostles and the new apostolic order. I thought that was really beautiful. And, so, and then uh, Eric did this, the, the whole thing about reaching our city and, 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 and focusing outside. And, and uh, you know, um, one of the things we have such a passion for, um, Bill, Bill shared about, he said, I don't have a desire to build a big church. I have a desire to build big people. And one of the things that we've tried to do well is create a place where people can be fully actualized, where they can become everything God wants them to be, where they are not reduced by the jealousy or selfish ambition or control, or, but that literally, as Paul so eloquently talked about today, that literally that the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, teacher, that they become the foundation that everyone else can stand on. And, you know, for years, one of the things that I, I'm sure you've seen this too, is that one of the things I've noticed is that great people come to church, but it isn't very often that great people come from the church. Like typically they have to leave the church to actually get great. And then they come back and we act like, you know, like groupies. We're like, ha, oh, look, so-and-so's here. And I'm like, what would happen if the church just actually became the house of the mighty women and men? Like you, literally you came to church and it was like, now, let me explain it this way. You know, if somebody has a degree at an Ivy League college in America, like Harvard or Yale or Princeton or Stanford, I mean, if someone says, I'm a graduate of Harvard, there's an expectation. I don't, maybe it's because I have never been to a university, but when someone tells me they graduated from Harvard, I think, wow, they, there's something about, like, it doesn't surprise you when someone from Harvard becomes president or mayor or, or, you know, something, a doctor, or whatever. I mean, we just kind of anticipate that if you went to Harvard, there must be something, and you graduated, there must be something special about you. And, and the same thing with names. Like, if your last name is Reagan, or your last name is Kennedy, or Bush, or Churchill, there is something about the expectation that comes from having a certain name. You know, John F. Kennedy's kids are still... They are still plagued by the paparazzi just because of their last name. What would happen if the church got so awesome at empowering people that literally that people who didn't even know God came to church so they could be fully actualized and find their purpose in God? And people said, oh, you, go to, you graduated from that, school, that Bethel School Ministry? 
Yeah, we don't even believe in God. But you know what? Those people are amazing. Like, there's such an expectation from the people of God because we have the mind of Christ, the wisdom from another age, the Creator lives inside of us, we're seated in heavenly places, so on and so forth. That there are so many advantages to being a believer that literally it's evangelism through jealousy. I mean righteous kind of jealousy. I'm actually going to talk about the other kind in a minute. But what would happen if your church turned out world changers? Like it became famous for turning out world changers. And people came broken and they got beauty for ashes. And literally people came to your church and they became the church. And there was no, as Danny would say, glass ceiling. Like literally people could grow as big as God wanted them to. That's my dream. That's our dream. That world changers, that the church would be a place that trains world changers. But for that to happen, we really need as leaders to cultivate a pure heart. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the issues of life. How many of you know, I don't become what I want to become, I become what I will to become. It's not what I want that changes me, it's what I will. I could want a great body, but until I will it, as you can see. (laughs) This is a perfect example of exactly what I'm trying to say. How many understand, it's not what I want that changes me, it's what I will changes me. And sometimes I want things that are not good, and I will to not have them. Sometimes I want to punish someone, but I will not to. And how many know even forgiveness is an act of your will, not an act of your want? And by the way, when I forgive you, it doesn't mean my pain goes away. How many know forgiveness is the first step out of pain, not the last? And I hear people lots of times saying, I forgave him 20 times a day. You don't need to forgive him 20 times a day. You know, if the bank forgives your debt, how many know they don't have to forgive you 20 times a day? They forgave you, which means they're not going to send you a bill anymore. It doesn't mean that they have money to pay off their debts. How many know that if, I, if Bill lent me $1,000 and I'm, I didn't pay it back, and he said, I forgive you, how many know it doesn't mean that he, if he needed the money to feed his family, it doesn't mean that he doesn't think, well, if I had that $1,000, I could feed my family. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have thoughts that he wished he had the money. It means that he doesn't send me a bill. Are you with me? So what I'm saying is, even forgiveness is an act of my will, not an act of my want. My wants don't lead me. My will does. How many know my wants are a good servant, but a terrible master? And it's awesome when my wants and my will line up. But sometimes my will has to go first, and then my wants come. You ever been in a worship service, and you didn't want to worship, but you willed to? And after you will, you want? And if you would have let your want dictate what you're going to do, how many know you would have never wanted it? That was so deep. Even I didn't get it. I shared this uh, at the prophetic session, whenever that was, yesterday, I think. And, uh, you know, prophetic people are kind of weird. 
I was sitting in the bathtub. I like to sit in the bathtub. We have a clawfoot bathtub. I, I don't like taking showers. I like to see what I'm accomplishing. I like to know if I was dirty or not. I was sitting in the bathtub, and I had put really hot water in her, and I sat in there for a while, and I was reading my Bible and just thinking and praying. And pretty soon the you know, water got cold, and I turned, got my foot up there and turned the water back on and made it hot again. And, and I had this obvious thought. I mean, it was just an obvious idea. And that is, this bathtub, this bath water, it will become 70 degrees. It will become the temperature of the room not because 70 degrees is most dominant, but because whatever, whatever I manage dominates. In other words, it becomes 70 degrees because there's an ecosystem in the room that's 70 degrees. I have the thermometer, I have the thermostat set at 70 degrees, so there's an ecosystem in the room that's 70 degrees, so the water temperature, it doesn't matter how hot I make the water, it's always going to go, it's always going to go back to the temperature of the room because, the, because there is no ecosystem in the tub, there's only an ecosystem, there's only an ecosystem in the room. Are you with me? And I started thinking that the most powerful ecosystems don't dominate. What dominates is what I cultivate. Whatever I cultivate dominates. And how many of you know that lukewarm is the temperature of the world? So if I think, if I think about, if I let jealousy come into my life and I cultivate jealousy, not because jealousy is more powerful than God attributes, but whatever I cultivate dominates. Are you with me? And one of the, one of the things that I see in our lives, in, in our culture, is that when you create a culture where people can get big, one of the symptoms is that you get jealous. <laughs> You're like, I've never been jealous. Well, you probably run with midgets. So you don't have to worry about jealousy if you run a slave camp. If you never feel jealous, it's because you're running with people who are smaller than you. But if you develop an empowering culture, one of the side effects of an empowering culture is that people tend to compete, and they tend to compare, and they tend to be jealous. And the, and, and the question is, what do you do with it? And one of the things that, that I, I, I have, you know, I have been with Bill for so long. I, I have all these stories that come up in my mind. I remember I was in, at Che's church, and this lady came up to me after I preached. And she said, I, I wrote this manuscript. And, um, and she was all nervous, and she's like, I, she had it with her. I wrote this manuscript, and I wanted to give it to someone who's profound, who's powerful, who's insightful, and she had this, literally, she had this list, like she had rehearsed it, like eight things. And she hands it to me, she said, would you give this to Bill? (laughs) I felt like Haman. (laughs) When the king says, "What what should the king do for someone who he wants to honor? 
He's like, oh, he should put him on the king's donkey and put a purple robe on him and, and yell, you know, long live the king. Okay, go do that for Mordecai. <laughs> I thought you were talking about me. One of the things that happens in a culture where we're empowering people is that things come up in you. I have a friend, he's, we, uh, we play basketball at the YMCA. He actually plays basketball. I'm on the court. <laughs> he's, he tried out uh, twice for a uh, pro team. He's very good. He's an African-American guy. He's excellent. And he's in his early 40s. And he, he can, he's actually better than anyone else out there. He's better than any of the young guys and... And he's become a really good friend of mine. And the last year, he hasn't played at all. Like, he'll come down there and sit and not play. And I keep saying, hey, man, how come you're not playing? He's like, oh, yeah, da, da. how come you're not playing? So about a month ago, this went on for like nine months, and I said to him, I mean, he's a basketball freak. I'm like, why, don't, why aren't you playing? He's like, oh, I don't know. So the other day, I, I sat down with him, and I said, hey, dude, tell me straight, why aren't you playing? He said, because I hate what happens to me when I'm on the court. He said, I hate the feelings I have about other people who are playing when I'm on the court. And I said, dude, those feelings are there. The court isn't making that happen. It's only revealing it. See, I mean, trials don't make your heart a certain way. They just reveal it. That person may be mad. No, mad had to be in there. Mad had to be in there for it to come out. And what I'm getting at is, this is just not going to be a long message, I don't think, but I don't think. I have 15 minutes to finish this message. I have dealt with more jealousy since I've been at Bethel than I have my whole life. And it's not because Bethel's a bad culture. It's because there's world changers growing up around us. And I remember the first couple of years, and we were talking about succession planning, and we want our, you know, our sons and daughters to outgrow us, and we don't want to be elder brothers who, you know, elder brothers are always competing with the people they're supposed to be leading, and elder brothers always reduce the people they're supposed to be leading, and we're like, yeah. And you know, it's really easy to preach that when you have the strongest prophetic voice in the room. Or whatever it is you're playing, and you understand I'm using the word playing, whatever game you play, you're the best at it. And so it's really easy to talk about, yes, we want our sons and daughters to be more prophetic than us when you're the most prophetic guy in the room. But something happens when the people you started training become more powerful than you. Now we're not talking about theories. Now we're talking about Johnny, who calls people out by name and address, who I trained, who he didn't learn that from me. That's a whole different thing. And I just, I, I just felt like when we were talking about all this transition and empowering people and all the messages, and I'm like, I wonder if you have any idea what it's like to live in a culture where people actually are outgrowing you. And you are not driving them out. You're calling them in. And watching Eric and Candace. I mean, you know, I've known Eric, I think, two years old. He was two years old when I, when I met him. He grew up in our house and... And ours and his. And I watched them, Eric and Candace, take a church that Bill and I led 
and watched them pour into it and watched it become way more amazing than we ever did. And at first it was cute. Oh, how cute. You know, isn't that cute? The young people are... Um, pretty soon it's like, this ain't funny. <laughs> and people come up, oh, Eric and Candace are doing such an amazing job. They've improved it so much. I'm like, yeah, I was the guy who was doing that before. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. And you have to decide what you're going to do about that. Because, you know, you can have all the structure stuff and all the philosophy and all the apostle stuff and all the things we teach, which is all wonderful. But if you don't deal with you, you will still reduce people. You will still figure out some way to reduce people. And if you pretend you're not jealous, you won't deal with it. You'll call it something else. And when you call it something else, you won't deal with it. Until you say, I'm actually jealous. And I don't want that in me. Otherwise, that temperature begins to dominate because you're cultivating it, and you're cultivating it because you refuse to admit that you have a problem. You know, when there was four people on the earth, the murder rate was 25%. We have another one of those Spirit Wars books. (laughs) I'm sorry, that was my really bad humor. That was just a joke. Right after it came out, I wish I wouldn't have said it. It was in there. It was in there and it came out. It was your fault. If you wouldn't have made that noise, that wouldn't have come out of me. If you don't mind, I'm working on jealousy right now. I actually just do one demon at a time. Okay, I'm about to say it again, so brace yourself. When there was four people on the planet, the murder rate was 25%. Because Cain killed Abel out of jealousy. Only four people on the planet. And Cain kills Abel because Abel gives God an amazing offering. Cain gives him some extra stuff. And God receives Abel's offering and doesn't receive Cain's. And when Cain was angry, God came to Cain and God said to Cain, If you do good... Will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do good, will you stop? You'll stop being jealous if you just do good. But he didn't listen and he killed his brother. David, the same thing. David, they go off to war. You know the story so well. And, and David kills Goliath. And when they're coming home, the women are lining the streets, evidently thinking that Saul's actually a father that is celebrating his son because they're singing Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his 10,000 but instead of Saul being excited that David was celebrated he was jealous of David 
and he wanted to kill David. I'm just sharing, like, this is an age-old problem where God brings two people together that could be amazing, but jealousy destroys it. And I'm telling you, like, and I know we would all agree, like, we see amazing people, but it's almost always a heart issue that destroys something God's doing in the earth. It's not... I mean, it's, it could be better if it was, had great structure, it would be better if it had better theology, be all that, but it's actually heart issues that actually take movements down. It's actually the everyday stuff, like this thing starts to get in your spirit for a person and you don't deal with it. The disciples had the same issue. Jesus starts raising up world changers and guys who apparently never competed for anything started competing with one another and arguing about who's the greatest. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. What does Jesus do about the fact that his guys have a heart problem? You know, he takes Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now think about this. You have 12 guys, and they're all arguing about who's the greatest. It's a pretty big deal. It's mentioned in all four Gospels, and it's mentioned several times in several of the Gospels, in a couple of the Gospels, that they're all arguing about who's the greatest. Why? Because when you get around Jesus, you realize that you were born to be amazing. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the Mount Transfiguration, makes the nine wait. You guys can't come. Jesus is going to raise a dead girl. He takes Peter, James, and John. Every time Jesus is going to do something amazing, he leaves nine people sitting outside. You guys stay outside. I'm taking Peter, James, and John. See, if Jesus was a socialist, he would rotate. Okay, so Peter, James, and John, you come. Okay, Judas, Matthew. Yeah, you, yeah James, you, you, you come. Next. Okay, now you guys got a problem with competing, so I don't want to play into that. I don't want to play favorites because you guys already have a problem, so I will make it all equal. Jesus doesn't make it equal, and he doesn't make it fair. He said, I, like, you guys, you three are the most anointed. I'm taking you with me. You nine, deal with it. And I'm saying, in our, in, I'm saying, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying, make sure that people, I have a point. If you guys would stop laughing, I can make my point. Sean, you may not be up here for a while, not because I'm preaching a long message, but just because it's taking me forever. Okay, I'm, uh, you guys stop laughing, and Sean's not coming. Shame and guilt is another tool we use. How often do we try to fix a heart problem by changing the structure? How often do we reduce a culture down to the level of someone's jealousy instead of say, deal with your jealousy, we're not changing the fact that these three people right now, God's on them. And maybe next he'll be on you, but right now he's on them. 
And so we're going we're gonna to take them, we're going to treat them differently because there's more favor on them. How many know God loves everyone the same, but he favors you differently? And God says, there's more favor on these three guys right now, Peter, James, and John, so I'm going to take them with me, and you guys can wait outside and deal with your hearts. I'm saying, how many times do we reduce the environment down to a place where people stop complaining? And Jesus refuses to do that. He says, deal with your heart. I'm not changing what I'm doing so that you guys can get along. And I propose that one of the reasons why the church struggles getting along is because Jesus is blessing them more and more and more. And he's saying, deal with your hearts. Because I'm not changing who I'm blessing. And I'd propose to you that you don't get yours until you celebrate theirs. And let me finish what I'm saying. Not by your want, by your will. Well, I'm going to wait till I want to. No, no, you'll probably never do it. Well, I'm going to wait till I want to celebrate Eric. No, no. I'm going to bless Eric because my will and my heart say it's the right thing to do and I love him. And my want will follow. I'm not going to reduce Bethel's movement down to Chris Bellaton's fear, anxiety, and jealousy level. I'm not going to do that. We've lived our life to change the world. And we're not going to change what God's given us to do because somebody isn't dealing with their heart right. There's something about being authentic that helps to break this thing. There's something about being real. There's a, there's a, uh, I don't really have time to do this. I, I have it in my notes, but it, it will take too long. But there's a really powerful TED Talk called The Power of Vulnerability by Brene Brown. If you, it's 20 minutes long. Almost all of our staff has watched it. I watched it 20 times, taking notes off of it. If you haven't seen it, it's actually worth the watch. And, uh, and she says this, that the most, she said, the greatest enemy of humanity is shame. And shame says, she said, guilt says, and we would call it conviction. She says, conviction says, you did something wrong. Shame says, you are something wrong. And she said, that shame is what destroys humanity. But she said, what destroys shame is vulnerability. She said that people who are vulnerable destroy shame in their life. And there's something about real. I don't know about your culture, but I love the fact that we get to be real here. That if we struggle, that we talk about it, at least among our own team. And that we don't, it's not like, well, if you do something wrong here, you know, you don't want to, well, if you have a problem with porn, you better not tell anyone because if you do, you're off the team. Well, how many of you know, if you can't deal with it, then maybe you need to sit for a while. But to, to fear that if you are real, that you're not going to be on the team, 
How many know that culture is what keeps people in shame? That's a religious culture that keeps people in shame. And so I love the fact that we get to be vulnerable. She said, people who are vulnerable have courage. And I love this part. Let me see if I can find it real quickly. She said, courage comes from the Latin word cur. And it means heart. It means actually to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. Courage actually means to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. I'll just finish with this last thoughts. You know, you are not just your strengths. You know, we do strength finders here and disc tests. It's all great. The only thing that I don't like about it is sometimes we can do all these tests and you think that you are your strengths. And I'd like to propose that you're not just your strengths. You're also your divinely planned weaknesses. Did you get that? Let me read it to you. Paul said, Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distress and persecutions and difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. Sometimes when we think of weakness, we think of something we want to hide. And Paul said, if I'm going to brag about something, I'm going to brag about the places I'm weak. Because every place I'm weak, he's strong. I'm going to tell you this quick story about, I think it's times really, you know, when you get old, everything seems like last week. I was telling a story the other day, and I said, two years ago, and Kathy said, that was 11 years ago. (laughs) Hey, I live in heavenly places. There's no time where I live. I'm a prophet. I think three years ago, I have a friend who, they, they have a university and they use a lot of our material. And they happen to use, I think, two or three of my books. And so my friend said to me, I would really like to give you an earned doctorate. I'm like, well, that'd be awesome. An earned doctorate. He said, yeah, I'd love to give you an earned doctorate in ministry. All you have to do is write a thesis, which I didn't even know what a thesis was, you know. I tried to act intelligent. I thought, well, I'll come back and ask my PA. She'll know. <laughs> she has an education. He said, if you write a thesis, you'll, you'll, you can um, submit the thesis, and we'll give you an earned doctorate. And I had to do some other stuff. So I did, you know, so he gave us a list of things to do. He gave us a, a counselor that was walking us through it. My, and Beth, my PA at the time, was helping me put it all together. And I said, hey, I just wrote this woman's book. And he said, oh, well, you can take the manuscript and t- put it in a, a, a different form, and we'll use that as your thesis. I'm like, oh, that's great. And so I got, I got it almost all put together. Actually, it's about halfway put together, about a month's worth of work, putting it together. And one night, I went to bed, and the Lord said to me, um, <clears throat> I heard you're getting a degree. Seriously, scared the crap out of me. I was about to sleep. He said, "Ah, I heard you're getting a degree. I said, yeah. (laughs) I think it was his tone of voice that bothered me most. He said, you didn't talk to me about that. I said, yeah, I'm going to have a PhD. He said, you can't have letters after your name. 
I said, why not? He says, because if you have letters after your name, people think you can do this, and we both know you can't. <laughs> what he said to me, I told Bill the next morning. He said, we both know you can't. He said, I raised you up to show people what I could do with weakness. But if you put, get a degree, then people will think that you actually earned this, and you know you didn't, and so do I. And he said, it will take away from what the reason why I raised you up in the body, so that people can see what I can do with weakness. And if you take that weakness and you say that you're strong, then all the people who are weak won't think they can do it, because the only reason they think they can do it is because they look at how weak you are, and they see what I've done with you, and that's the monument you are to the church. You are not just your strengths. You are your weakness. And you know what? God wants you to boast about your weakness. He doesn't want you to hide in shame. He doesn't want you to compete with others. He wants you to say, yeah, I'm not very good at that. Well, how'd you do that thing? Oh, yeah, that's what happens when God comes. God does that. I had to call my mom, though, because I called her when I was getting a degree, and she, was, she cried on the phone. Then I called her when I wasn't. I actually called her the second time because I thought, you know how Mary, Jesus didn't want to make wine and Mary said make wine? I thought, you know, mothers. <laughs> I'm going to tell my mother on you. My mother cried. Anyway, can I just pray for you? I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. You can stay seated because Sean's going to come in just a minute. Why don't you put your hand on your heart? I just, I, I, heard, I hear the word authentic, real. There's something about real, isn't there? There's something about that people, I think people are hungry for the real thing. And I just pray, God, that you would give us the courage to be who we are. To let people know who we are. And that we would never again do pretend. And Lord, I pray for our jealousies and our ambitions and all the things, the things that shouldn't be there. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't hide those things, that we would deal with them, and that we would proactively be a thermostat and not a thermometer. That we would proactively cultivate a culture that dominates the temperature of the room because we deal with our stuff and don't run around whitewashing it or putting a mask on it or giving it a good name. Lord, give us the grace to break these things over our lives and not reduce the culture down to the level of our dysfunction. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening.